You're listening to The Cultured Podcast, a weekly conversation hosted by me, Michelle Corey, that breaks down the barriers surrounding art, theater, travel, and more to serve a digestible dose of culture for all. Hello, Cultured Crew. Ooh, that was feisty. That was like that had a hint of blues in it. Anyway, thank you for joining me for another amazing week of the Cultured Podcast. We have Pete Goldsvig on the show today. He is a badass animator, illustrator, and writer based in Atlanta, Georgia. And his animation has appeared on FX's Archer, on Adult Swim, PBS Kids, and Comedy Central. So hashtag MBD, you know what I'm saying? I'm really excited to talk to him today because we're going to talk all about the process of animating cartoons specifically and what that looks like, what a life as an animator is. But before we get into that, this week, Becca from The Cultured Crew submitted our inspiration, and it is so beautiful. So thank you, Becca, for emailing me at info at She says she's inspired by her commute on MARTA, which is Atlanta's rail line, and she rides 15 stops from East Point to Dunwoody and back nearly every weekday. She says that not only is what she sees out of her window beautiful, like graffiti on old buildings, people working on roofs, the sun rising and setting against Atlanta's greenery, but she also loves people watching on the train and seeing how people make use of that time. Studying index cards, reading, thinking, listening to music, sleeping or snoring, which she says stresses her out because she's afraid they'll miss their stop. So obviously she cares. And along with those in restaurant uniforms and scrubs, there are some bona fide fashionistas, which is so true. I am sure we've all seen a subway fashionista in our day. And she says that acts of kindness are observed alongside awkward moments. And the benefit of MARTA, aside from the functionality of public transport and beating the maddening traffic, is allowing riders to feel the pulse of the thriving city. Wow. Thank you so much for inspiring us with your daily observations, Becca. I am sending you lots of love and continued inspiration. And as always, I would love to hear what's inspiring you. So don't forget to email me at info at You can tweet me. You can Facebook me. You can slide it in the DMs and Instagram, but keep it clean. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Without further ado, let's chitty chitty chat chat with Pete. Hi, Pete. Hello, Michelle. Hello. Well, let's get down to brass tacks. Let's first talk about when you started drawing. Uh, just all through childhood. Uh, lots, lots of kids draw. I think too many, too many kids stop. And I just, I just kept on drawing through, through class, in my room at home, everywhere. What compels you to draw? Um, sometimes it's getting the brain to shut off. Sometimes you just want to escape. I, I frequently draw with music. I listen to a lot of uh, movie scores. Um, so if I want to draw something goofy, maybe I'll put on Danny Elfman, Willy Wonka. Has your style always been your style or did it develop over time? When you begin drawing, you try, of course, to draw like other artists. And then over time, if, if you're fortunate, uh, you start to find your own voice. Um, and that oddly comes about once you stop caring. Uh, once you stop worrying about doing a good drawing, that's when the quote-unquote good drawing comes out. I I don't feel that I 
found my own voice like as an illustrator until actually I moved it to Atlanta and started working for some of the studios um, and started uh, spending more time with uh, a lot of the new friends that I met at the studios who were also artists, which was a big first for me. Um, and then you can see yourself reflected in the way that they're drawing and vice versa. Right. Um, and then just realizing uh, that, you know, you're going to sit down and you're going to make a drawing and the drawing may be 10 seconds or it may be an hour. And when it's done, it's still just a drawing. If you don't like it, throw it away. Do another one. It's, it's just a drawing. Uh, some of that comes from animation school where I did a two and a half minute hand-drawn film and that was thousands of drawings. And, and what, what I learned from that is, you know, you have an entire product and a body of work that comes from that. And there are little pieces of that and it doesn't matter if some of them are not the best things ever. You know, you have a lot of bad drawings, you have to get the bad draw the bad drawings out. Well, and I've talked in previous episodes a lot about sort of the the issue that perfectionism poses to artists and mm -hmm. creators of all kinds. It's this this standard that we hold ourselves to often that is what creates creative blocks. Mm -hmm. And so it's uh, fascinating to meet someone who is so, who's gotten to a point where you're just like, whatever, it doesn't have to be perfect. And that allows you to flow freely with your art. Uh, there's a trick that I use where if I do a drawing and something upsets me about it, I put it away for a week or three days or four days. And usually I come back to it and the thing I didn't like before is what made it stand out. I totally, you know, I, my chosen art form for for the most part, is writing. And I often hate what I write while I'm writing it. And I usually have learned to sleep on it and go back to it the next day and not not obsess about it, but rather go back the next day. And nine times out of 10, I'm like, this is good, you know? <laughs> and, and so I like the idea of allowing your brain to rest because when you're so into something, you're focusing on every little thing you're doing and it becomes hyper-focused. And so your view of it is a little bit adultered by that hyper-focus. So it's good to, to take that step back. Really fascinating. Did, is that something that's always been a part of you or did you have to learn that? I had to learn that. I didn't, I didn't learn that until... I started looking at the things I was drawing and I thought, wow, I'm liking the stuff that I spend two minutes on more than the stuff that I spend two hours on. Wow. But you haven't always been an animator and your chosen degrees are actually not in animation. Correct. I graduated from high school and I still really didn't know what I wanted to do. I felt there were a lot of options. So I experimented with, you know, getting an art degree, getting a theater degree, and none of those things were really appealing to me as, as a, you know, as a job or as a career. Uh, and the clock started ticking. You know, I'd, I'd invested and my parents had helped me to invest, you know, three years of my life into going to college. And, and I thought, I love history. I love listening to lectures. I can draw <laughs> during class. So there are lots of pictures of Lincoln and, uh, oh my and God. just soldiers and maps and all kinds of you know, fun stuff. Uh, and so I just thought, hey, I'll, I'll just get a degree. And, and that was before the recession. So, you know, the, the song everybody always sang was just get a just get your B.A. Lots of jobs out there. Don't worry what it's in. Don't worry what it's in. And I, I still I don't regret it for a single day. It is something I value greatly. It helps me appreciate, you know, the world that I live in, how lucky we are. If I'm having a bad day, I'm like, hey, I got a toilet. I got a fridge with food in it. Uh, um, light bulbs. Light bulbs, medicine, 
Um, <laughs> you know, to vaccines. To, <laughs> yes. To some, <laughs> so it, it it helps realize, like, oh, you know, sometimes feeling sorry for yourself is a luxury because you're not out, you know, Amen. harvesting wheat or crushing rocks. So when did animation come into the picture? After. I earned my BA in history. I worked a wide variety of jobs. I mean, I was a waiter. I worked at a call center. Um, I was a custodian at Disneyland. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) After that, I went and taught uh, English in South Korea. And I had done all of these jobs. And I thought, well, you know, some of them, some of them I liked. I really liked teaching, but I I didn't necessarily have a passion for it. And I thought, what? Okay, it's time to knuckle down. I'm 25, 26. Uh, It's it's kind of, I, I view that age as like, it's the point you have where you can kind of turn it all around and start over if you want. Um, Although I'd beg to differ. You can do that anytime. You can do that anytime, anytime, anytime. But I think that's one of those opportunities. It's easier then. It's easier. That's right. That's that's more eloquent than I put it. It's the easiest time to, to turn things in another direction. And I thought, well, here, here are the skills that I have and the passion I have um, and what's going to make me happiest long term. Maybe if I don't want to be an animator my whole life that can lead to all of these other things. You know, you, you research other people who started in animation, you know, and it can lead anywhere. And I thought, okay, I think, I think this is a good way to put my love for theater and history and, and writing and storytelling and ball it up into one. Who were some of those people that you researched that that helped you get launched into animation? Yeah, I well, when I first thought of it, I, I, I went to Vancouver Film School. And so I saw all of the films of the people that I enjoyed. And uh, I immediately emailed all of them. Wow. And I said, are you working? <laughs> Number one, are you making money? Not so blunt, but I was like, how you doing? You know, how's this working out for you? Um, and, uh, th- and, and what things should I know? I, a question I love to ask people uh, and I like to answer for people is what do you wish, you know, that you knew before you started? Mm-hmm. So I love doing that with, with people that email me and wanting to animate. I said, here are things that they're going to save you two or three years. So I emailed those people um, and got great responses back. In terms of famous people who did that, Tim Burton started as an animator and he made his own short films and, you know, he has kind of a miraculous career to begin with. Mike Judge, uh, Beavis and Butthead, and then he started to do just a bunch of other things. I also saw it as like it's an opportunity to be an entrepreneur because there are so few things now that that if you want to start a business, if you want to, if you have an idea, you know, you need money, you need people, you need all these other things. And it's wonderful to have those in animation. But, you know, when push comes to shove, you can maybe knuckle down and try to do everything yourself to prove a concept or to get an idea out there. Sure. Have you always had that entrepreneurial spirit? No. Uh, <laughs> um, no, not really. Um, it, it, it wasn't until I started uh more in animation and and taking a career seriously um and the thing about you know having your own business and working for studios and freelancing is you really have to time is your most valuable asset almost more than money because there are a lot of things you could do uh and you just have to decide what what has the longest benefit totally you know, cost benefit you know someone for example may say hey you know, you're, you're really good at illustration or something. You should make a bunch of postcards and send them all over town and sell them at coffee shops and say like, yeah, that, that could work. That'd be great. But I have to look at how much money you're going to make off of that. Uh, the time involved in, you know, schlepping all over town and trying to talk to people and then going and collecting that. And, that, you know, before the end of the day, you could have written a bunch of stuff. You could have 
done other things. And so there's, you know, always multiple avenues for what you could do with that energy. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you do have an entrepreneurial (laughs) mindset, frankly, because that's uh, one of the best words I ever learned was focus. Yes. And I think when you are a creator, oftentimes we're we're hyper creatives. And so we want to do a billion things. And And so if we do a billion things, we're doing them all but spreading our energy thin. And if we pick two or three, that's when the magic starts really happening. Mm -hmm. So speaking of magic starting to happen, what brought you to Atlanta? Because you're originally from Minnesota. Yes. Um, Well, after I finished Vancouver Film School, uh, I went to live in uh, the New York area. Uh, My sister is an actress, Becky Galsvig. Um, And so she was doing shows on Broadway. All that good stuff. No big deal. No big deal. It's just, you know, it's <laughs> just, just who she is. Just B-way. Um, and she's an older, she's my older sister. And so she's, she's always been a source of inspiration for me. That I just thought like, well, look, look what she did. Like, yeah, of course I can just move wherever I want and try stuff. That's um, so I was really grateful, um, you know, that she's in my life. Um, and uh, so I moved out to the New York City area and I started uh, interning at Augenblick Studios. Uh, they made Ugly Americans, and they make a lot of shorts and all sorts of stuff. It's a fantastic studio. And interestingly enough, I also was teaching English at the same time to help pay the bills. So that <laughs> things kind of went full circle there. And I started just applying to every studio, big studio in the country. And nowadays when you're you know, applying to places, there's often uh, websites that you go to and you put in your information and it goes into this massive machine. I don't know if anybody listening has applied to something for Turner. (laughs) (laughs) So what I did is uh, I made a bunch of envelopes, um, pretty much the biggest ones you could buy. And I painted, I think it was uh, a little kid in an inner tube with a a kind of a Loch Ness monster face that was scaring him. Um, And I, I painted all of these and I put addresses on it and then I you know, stuffed it with a cover letter with a link to my email address and, uh, you know, my website. Um, cause that's, you know, you got to get noticed. I was told in film school, sometimes, you know, send, send a six pack of beer to a studio with your name on it. <laughs> um, and, uh, eventually one of the studios in Atlanta got back to me, um, and they were starting up, uh, Bento Box Entertainment, uh, was building a branch in Atlanta, um, and Bento Box Entertainment uh, is behind shows like uh, Bob's Burgers and The Awesomes. The show I moved down for was called Out There by Ryan Quincy, who used to work on South Park. And uh, so I was I was on the phone in New York talking to Craig Harton, who, you know, he worked on Aqua Teen and Squidbillies and all, all these shows that I watched in college. Right? Right. Oh, man, it'd be great to work on cartoons. Um, <laughs> wow, how much your accent has changed. <laughs> It'd be great. Um, that's how we all talk in Minnesota. Yeah, and in college. In college, exactly. Uh, and so I just took on this job. I was like, well, I guess, you know, guess I'm moving again. I got in on the ground level of a new studio that opened up and had myself some health insurance. And, <laughs> and now you're Southern. <laughs> right. <laughs> you really, the evolutions are rapid. Yep. You're like insurance. Madonna. Insurance. There we go. Insurance. <laughs> Okay, so I find the the life of an animator fascinating. Um, you are now freelance, so you've mm-hmm. done your you've accomplished the goal of becoming an entrepreneur, and now you are independent. So mostly independent or all independent? M- mostly, I'm, I mean, no person is an island. So poetic. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, yeah, for the most part, most part. And then if I if I need help with things, I'll I'll call upon people that I know, um, or you know, I get called upon. Um, interestingly enough, I'll, I'll, on a side note, you know, a lot of the freelance work you get um, is from people that you've worked with before. You know, out of the hundreds of emails that yep. you send out uh, right now, I'm I'm assisting uh, an animator and director and writer. Uh, her name is Leah Shore, the talented Leah Shore, um, on uh, shorts for Billboard Music. Uh, that is awesome. Oh, they're great. They're great. Um, and uh, they're produced by uh, Jessica Rovniak. I think I hope I'm saying her name correctly. Um, but and she was uh, Leah Shore was one of the people I had my very first animation jobs with, and, and and you know that was that was five or six years ago, and so you know it's it's always important to keep networking and stuff. It really is, and I think that that applies for any industry, but particularly creative industries because there's such a important emphasis on your chemistry with the people that you work with and your ability to create together, which is not a simple task, mm-hmm. and so I think. For creators, it's especially common to see that you keep cycling with the same people over and over. And that's why you see a lot of, you know, filmmakers, animators, uh, artists, writers that stick together in their little, you know, cohesive groups. What does a day-to-day life look like for a freelance animator? Uh, Well, if you're lucky enough to be working, it's best to get up and work. (laughs) Um, You get up at a normal time. I still try to get up. At the same time as if I was clocking into a studio, I usually like to go to the gym. In between, it helps break up the day and clear the head because what I'm finding now where, um, you know, I, I enjoy the work, uh, but it's still important to uh, get away from the screen. That's the hardest thing I struggle with right now is I don't necessarily want to deal with so much screen time. Yeah. And so getting out and going for a run or going to the gym. And I try to, uh, if, I, if I need to do any writing or personal stuff, uh, personal projects. Ideally, in a perfect world, that's the first hour of the day when I'm fresh. And then pursuing other leads um, and people that you're working with and checking in. Yeah. <laughs> um, that sort of thing. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. I mean, it's it's so funny to think about these industries that seem so mysterious, you yeah. know, because you know nothing about them. And then you get into the details and it's pretty much just like the rest of us, just yeah. like different subject matter a lot of it involves too um it's it's it may seem like a silly or obtuse comparison but uh if you read like military history where the generals are like well we don't we can plan all that we want uh but 75 percent of that's going to go out the window as soon as everything starts and so it's almost more important to be ready and to take care of yourself and to make sure your house is in order because if you've if you procrastinated fixing your car and doing all this other stuff and then two jobs pop up and often as a freelancer you may have to juggle two jobs because you work on one while you're waiting to hear back from other people right um and 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 sometimes you may be in a situation where you can't say no to work because who knows when it's going to come back again exactly Uh, I'm, i'm at peace and i just laugh now because it's just almost a law of of what we do as freelancers where everything you're going to have nothing for a long time and then it's all going to come at once Sometimes three things in one day after nothing has happened for two months. Totally. And you just have to laugh. I was just having a conversation the other day about how anybody can be an entrepreneur, but it doesn't mean anybody, everybody wants to be because you have to have this ability to flow with the ebbs and flows that are a very natural part of being an entrepreneur. And sometimes you have to 
hoard money when you have clients because they could go away like this and you could just be without for a few months. But that's the balance and it takes this future outlook. So focusing a little back on your animation, what is the process of creating an animated show? Like I was looking at your demo reel and there were words like keys and tweens. Yeah. So break it down for us. Sure. Uh, So a a key in animation is uh, the, the bare bones essential parts of an action. So if you just envision, uh, for example, there's a cup in front of me, and if, if, if it was going to be the whole motion of me picking up the cup, the keys would be me looking at the cup, um, me lifting my hand, and then maybe something between the hand and the cup, and then grabbing the cup. And the in-betweens are everything in between that. We typically work in 24 frames a second. Um, with a quote-unquote drawing every two frames. And so uh, now that we have computers with the puppets and the computers, the computer can sometimes help do everything in between. But it really helps you plan out all of the timing before you finish all of the animation. If you think of it like uh, I, I like to use construction metaphors where you want to you have your blueprint and then you want to build the frame before you add the shingles. Mm-hmm. So if you think of... You go to the house and it's just a wood frame and there's and the, the in-betweens are the shingles and the windows and, you know, the wiring and all that right. stuff. Right. Oh, that's fascinating. OK, so how does an animated show come together now that we know the basic terminology? Um, well, once it's once it is, you know, cleared for production um, and, and had greenlit and has the money, uh, the scripts are finished um, and then. While the scripts are being finished very often simultaneously or shortly after, they're designing the characters. And then after the characters are done, um, storyboards, so you know what's going to happen. And based on the storyboards, uh, you may find areas where you can improve the character designs. You know, you're seeing everything together. Um, That also helps the background people get started. Um, This used to be, to the best of my knowledge, a while back, this used to be more stringent where you finish the script. Then when the script is done, then you start the storyboards and the character signs. But now in a lot of studios, everything's under one roof. And so it's fluid and things change and things go back and forth. Um, and so storyboards may be finished and they hand it to the key animators. And then they might say, well, uh, OK, we're changing this character. So you got to switch his hands out or oh, the director wants him to wear a hat. So you got to put hats in. Um, and after animation, um, after that's all cleared, it goes to compositing where they're going to add mood lighting and uh, make sure everything comes together well, you know, special effects animation along with the characters. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, after that, you know, just more more editing and tweaking. There's also a phase in there that the animation editor who is going to work with, like, building a teleplay and putting everything together. Um, it's a little more different than an actual editor because you – you have to plan what shots you need before mm. <laughs> you're putting them all together. Uh, in, in most cases, almost everything that you make for a cartoon will be used. So they don't leave a lot of, oh, you know, let's cut that scene out that we spent, you know, 10 grand on and, you know, right. 20 people were working on for X amount of time. You can't just um, say cut in action. You don't just do like retakes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But once again, all of those rules are changing now as as you know, more people are becoming involved and maybe they're not necessarily privy to the whole process or how it should be done. Mm-hmm. It's just you have to adjust and 
you will say, okay. You know, <laughs> it sounds like a really exciting, fast-paced environment. It's very fast-paced, and that can be that can be frustrating. Um, but but once again, you know, what I've come to terms with is like, hey, nothing is going to be perfect. You're not, never going to have a seamlessly perfect production or what is perfect. You know, it's like a <laughs> you right. have to be flexible. You have to be willing to change. And like, you know, it's your job. It's what you're what you're paid to do. So totally. Um, Wow, that is so fascinating. So have you helped with character development before? Character character design? Design, yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, I have. Uh, at, when I worked at Floyd County Productions that makes Archer, uh, they, they have a lot of pilots that come through. And there were a handful where my style was very specific. Uh, that place is great. There's there's you know, everybody there is an extremely amazing, talented artist. Yeah. And so wow. and so that helps me with other things, realizing like, hey, you know, yeah, I'm comfortable with myself, but like so, someone might be more perfect. And I would make the same judgment that like, nope, they need to, you know, design the family for this show. Um, but also, uh, mm-hmm. typically it's it's two or three people working together. And you'll be like, oh, wow, you're doing a really cool thing with the noses. Let's let's try what you're doing. I'll, I'll put that on mine or you'll draw your character. You'll draw my characters and I'll draw your characters in my style. And you, you know, you that you is come. so cool. And it's it's another added benefit uh, if if designing characters as an animator because you can design them to move because there are some kind of unwritten do's and don'ts in terms of you maybe don't want a sleeve to go a certain length if the wrist is going to move a certain way or if right. the arms. And these are things sometimes that people just don't know, mm-hmm. um, but it can save time and can save money. Um, a lot of times, you know, I, I won't design characters with a plaid shirt. because Because it's so difficult? Because there's a shoulder, there's arms, and those are all lines that have to move. Um, and, and thankfully now the, the computer programs are, are good. Uh, they're really great, so it makes it easier, but it's still, hey – how about not, you know? <laughs> <laughs> How about just the solid? How about they're all wearing white shirts? <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. So how do you animate a personality? How do you animate a personality? And do you think your theater background helps you in that regard? It most definitely does. Uh, what what comes to mind is, uh, you know, when you were doing your practice warm-up and you said, oh, no, that's too much, that's too much, is in both theater and in animation, typically you'll do something and the director will say, more, more. And you'll just go all out, just go crazy with either the animation or, you know, the scene that you're doing. And they'll say, okay, dial it back by half. And then that's perfect. Right. Or you just, you, you scale back. It's easier to scale back yeah. than give more. Uh, typically, you know, if you're planning animation for a shot, you have to think, how much time do I have? Do I want to do this just easy? And do I want to get out of here? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> sometimes, because at the end of the day, if he has to pick up a cup, he or she has to pick up a cup, just have him pick up the cup. If mm-hmm. you can do that. Easily, you don't have to, hmm, you know, animate them stroking their chin, looking at the cup, rubbing their tummy, grabbing the, you know. So so that's what, you know, you have to do. And that's where it's really essential to have, uh, and it's great, you know, when you're working under good directors, animation directors and stuff who can tell you, no, it's, it's, it's important that we make this shot look good. This is what we're going to show them. Or, nope, you know what, there's a, there's a fight sequence in this show that we need to move everybody on, so just get this done. We'll come back to it. There's totally. a lot of that in animation. Do you feel like you get to know the characters on a certain level where they become real to you? Sometimes. You know, the only time I did that was with, uh, you know, really that I can think about is the the hand-drawn animation uh, film that I made where that was just so much time in a desk drawing this one character. Was what was that called? I, he was a little boy named 
jaundice. <laughs> the film was called Don't Be Nervous. Uh, you know, be careful when you Google that because there's a company that has that name that, you know, is not my cartoon. Um, but, that's like uh, Googling the name Squishy Puss of the artist in town. That's what I yeah. heard. Be careful. Yeah. Whitehouse.gov. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I guess to some extent, you know, working on, working on Archer, you, you get to know those characters because they're, they're just so, they're just so crystal clear and the motions, you just oh, know what yeah. they're going to, you know, they're going to shrug their shoulders and lift their glass and do this or do that. So yeah. you, know, you get to know those characters. That's um, amazing. So if there was one story in history that you could animate, what would it be? Hmm. I, I remember a world history lecture. Uh, it was some sort of battle or siege uh in antiquity where where the the armies couldn't get or or middle ages and the armies couldn't get into this walled city so they thought hey uh we're gonna train these monkeys to start fires you know not rub sticks together but uh train them to knock lamps over torches over like just you know to to to, you know help spread fires and it it worked uh, but the only problem was that they couldn't get the monkeys out of the city. <laughs> I'm sure they killed a lot of them, uh, but but these <laughs> there were always some monkeys there that would just start fires. Oh and and once again, this goes back to why I love history because maybe there's all kinds of holes in this story and and <laughs> hearsay and all that. But it's still like it's still a good story, and that's that's how I see history. It's a story. Yeah. Um, that is so funny, and I could totally see your style animating oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you describe your style? I would describe it as an ugly drawing can still be a pretty drawing. It sounds like you're calling your drawings ugly. Well, yeah, I, I, I love ugly drawings. I love bad drawings, and the term bad drawings is a loaded term. Right. Um, but also, it it's also a kind of laziness because you think of, you know, for example, if you're designing a Disney princess... You're right. drawing. She's got to be perfect. Yeah. If her cheek is in a little bit, you know, she'll look funny and she'll look weird and not right and not perfect like she's supposed to. Yeah. And if you're drawing a, a monster mm-hmm. or a weird person at a bus stop, anything goes. Your ankles can look like whatever. You know? So do you see the world in this way? Like where do these monsters come from? Um, sometimes my, my hand is just on autopilot. Um, I, I like to see things and hopefully I laugh. Um, and if... If I'm lucky, you know, I, I hold it in um, and I'm not doing it in public or I'm not staring. Um, I'm terrible at not staring. Right. It's, it's hard. What, it's do you so have any hard. tricks for not staring? I stare harder. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> you dig in. I do. <laughs> I, no, and it's awesome being a, a young, somewhat attractive female because people don't think I'm creepy. Right. And I am. <laughs> So we've talked a lot on this show with past guests about how school helped to show them that they were on the track of whatever their art was. And we've already discussed that drawing was a big part of your life and then you decided to go into theater. But were there any specific people or programs or things that helped to push you along the track and and give you the motivation to continue a life in arts? Uh, Yeah, I I grew up in uh, Fargo-Moorhead. Um, and the schools there are fantastic. So I went to Moorhead Public High School, and I was just surrounded by supportive people, uh, including my parents. I, I feel extremely fortunate because very often people have folks in their life that are telling them they can't do things, or are you sure you want to go do that? And 
my folks at every turn have always, you know, been very supportive. Not not in a blind way either. <laughs> They've always been, wait, okay, you want to do this, but how are you going to do it? What what steps can we take? That's amazing. Well, thank you to your parents because they help generate a gift to this world and a lot of people enjoy it. So thank you for being on the show, Pete. This was so much fun. And obviously, we're going to include a lot of your links in the show notes. Excellent. Thank you, Michelle. all of you are a little bit more inspired to go out and draw something today because we can all do it. Like he said, there's some beauty in ugliness, which I totally agree. What is ugly anyway, right? If you want to learn a little bit more about Pete and see his work, you can go to his website where you can also see his demo reel, and that is www.petergulsvig.com. And you can also scope him out on Instagram as Pete has friends because he does be one of them all right y'all well next week we've got another crunchy episode in the meantime go to culturedpodcast.com check out those show notes learn a little bit more about pete and our past guests catch up on episodes go fuck wild and in the meantime keep it classy keep it curious keep it cultured i'm michelle Corey. Sean Powers is our producer. David Markowitz is our executive producer. The Cultured Podcast is a production of Zero Mile Media, made with love in Atlanta. You can listen to The Cultured Podcast on culturedpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and anywhere podcasts are found. Bye.